Mark Lynch, Director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the PullMaps Middle East Books Podcast, our series of conversations with authors with new books out in the field. We're joined today by Pascal Menere. Uh, he's the Renee and Lester Crown Professor of Modern Middle Eastern Studies at Brandeis University, author of the brand new book, Graveyard of Clerics, Everyday Activism in Saudi Arabia, which was recently published by Stanford University Press. Uh, Pascal, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, so let's talk about your book. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what you were trying to accomplish with the book and what do you think the main uh, contributions of the book are? Yes, well, thanks for having me in the, in the podcast, uh, first of all, Mark. And uh, the book is, is really a book about space in everyday politics. And basically, you could sum up its, uh, its plot, I guess, with one simple question. We, we have read a lot of things about how politics um, use everyday spaces in urban spaces, urban environments in cities, uh, but we know much less about uh, what happens in suburbs, uh, especially when we talk about the Middle East, especially when we talk about Islam movements. So basically the main question or the, you know, the plot of the book is, comes out of the question, um, what if uh, you basically remove the city what happens to Islamic movements? What happens to Islamic networks? Uh, and once you remove the city, once you remove density, uh, and once basically you plunge people in a, in, in a suburban environment where there are very few places that bring them together. And, and you talk, where they could, yeah. Yeah, and you talk a lot about the importance of, of automobiles and uh, kind of the car as a unit of, of society. Yes, exactly. And, and basically what, what, what happens in, in the suburbs uh, is that instead of fixed places where people could congregate and create uh, mass movements uh, by the presence or the co-presence of their bodies uh, on the street, what you have is moving uh, entities, moving uh, devices, moving tools, automobiles that can be used to reconstitute uh, movements, to protest sometimes, and, uh, and to, to, to create that effect of mass, right, that might change uh, the political dynamic in a, in, a, in a country. And you put people, in, four people into a car and uh, that gives them opportunities for discussions, uh, for socialization, um, in ways that are different from the way we might ordinarily think about uh, collective action. Yes. So. For, for, for those of us who are familiar with um, uh, Islamic movements elsewhere, for instance, in Egypt, uh, and, and the Muslim Brotherhood in particular, when you look at the, uh, the, the hierarchy of, of the Muslim Brotherhood or, or the organization, the internal organization of the, of the movement, you find that uh, families are the, the simplest units, right? The, the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the basic cell of the movement. In Saudi Arabia, among Saudi uh, Islamic activists, Basically, it's no longer the family that is the basic cell of the movement. It's the automobile. It's a sayara, right? And mm -hmm. which is considered uh, to be the, the building block of the movement. Four people with one driver and plus one driver. So five people in a car basically compose uh, their own small units. Uh, you have to use cars because people have to get together. It's a very vast, very uh, spread out, very sprawling environment. And so to bring people together to the school, to the mosque, to wherever um, Islamic action is basically unfolding, you need to drive. And that space, that space time of uh, suburban community becomes the basic cell of, of the movement. 
let's talk a little bit about what you mean by Islamic activism in a, in a context like Saudi Arabia. Yes. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I can give you a sense of basically um, the, the historicity of, or the history of my, of my, the story of my research, right? I mean, I, I started um, working as, as, um, as an anthropologist and historian uh, in the mid 2000s. And I was really interested in a simple question, which is how do you do politics um, in an everyday way, in an everyday manner, uh, in a space that is so heavily policed and in which you basically don't have the uh, usual vehicles of uh, political action. Right. No parties, no unions, no uh, independent associations. Uh, there were elections, local elections, but that was really the only space of um, speech and organization. Uh, so I, I started looking at, at, at this question, which is a very broad question and a, and a question that I was looking at from the point of view of, again, being, being more of an, an anthropologist than, than a political scientist. And um, it turned out that uh, what, I could, what I could observe in, in that context is that, uh, well, uh, the main groups that organize uh, on an everyday basis in Saudi Arabia are religiously inclined, and um, it, it, which, which is kind of a paradox in a, in, a, in a system of power, basically where the state has been embracing religion, right? Embracing, uh, creating, a religious hierarchy, creating religious positions, and where, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Saudi state inside its borders at least uh, likes to present itself as an Islamic state. So what does it mean to be an Islamic activist uh, in such a space? And that's where uh, the metaphor uh, that basically is the title of the book um, uh, starts making sense, right? Graveyard of clerics, Maqbarat uh, al-Ulama. So that's, that's a, this is a trope or a metaphor uh, that was used by um, uh, very prominent Islamic activists uh, within uh, Saudi Arabia, but also outside of it to basically say, well, we have a state that claims it's an Islamic state, but in reality, it's a, it's a graveyard. It's a graveyard of clerics. It's the place where Islamic action goes uh, to die. Um, and so I was really interested in, 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 in that analysis, which is basically the uh, uh, the um, yeah the axis around which Islamic activism inside the country revolves. Now, it's very interesting in the book because you you do talk about uh, the, kind of the familiar narrative and, and figures of the Islamic uh, awakening of the Sahwa, um, but but you also look at it at a very local individual level, and um, it was interesting to me how different some of these, uh, these celebrity activists look um, to your interlocutors um, compared to how they appear in a lot of like the traditional literature about Islamic movements or Islamic action in, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, can you give me an example? I'm, I'm really intrigued. People like Salman Oda or people like that, uh, you know, when, when you read them in your book, um, you see much more about their actual engagement with individual questioners um, and issues and topics and themes. Um, they, they seem more like real people in a way. Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, I, I was really interested in, in uh, and that's, that's the everyday, um, if the everydayness of the phenomena I've been looking at, uh, I was really interested in, in looking at how people live their lives as activists um, in such a, such a difficult environment. Um, and, you know, 
we can also say that the environment in Saudi Arabia is actually much more, much harder now uh, than it was uh, back in the, in the late 2000s. Mm -hmm. uh, it was 10 years ago. Uh, so what I'm saying in the book, what I'm, what I'm saying now also doesn't, uh, you know, it's, it's not an analysis of, of what's going on in Saudi Arabia right now. Oh, for but, sure. Um, yeah. yeah. But what I was interested in is, is looking at how, um, how uh, what I call, what, what not, not me, I mean, what activists call Islamic action, al-amal al-islami, right, um, uh, unfolds uh, in, uh, in everyday spaces. And, um, and these big figures uh, indeed become part of, um, of, of much uh, uh, more grounded conversations about the meaning of, uh, for instance, what it means to read books, what it, read, what it means to read novels um, for young activists who, uh, who gather um, in a high school and uh, uh, some of whom are interested in reading Harry Potter. Uh, uh, oh, that's and, a great chapter. Uh, because they <laughs> Thanks, because they decide that, um, you know, first of all, reading is a training. Um, and uh, it's, it, it trains you to, uh, to use the language, to, to think, to speak, uh, but it's also a way for you to get exposed to other ways to look at the world. And therefore, it can, it can only make your own, you know, self-construction as, 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 as a reader, but also as an activist, stronger. You, you become more articulate, right? And so there, there, was, there were a lot of very strong arguments to, to read, um, to read uh, English literature in Arabic translation. But of course, some members of the group were were more reluctant, and so they um, they, they they made a they made an argument uh, saying, well, you know, the book talks about magic, and, and therefore we, we shouldn't really read that, and it's uh, it's really not good to uh, we, we should stay away from from such depictions of very unreligious uh, uh, behaviors, and so the first group of activists reached out to. Uh, Salman Rada. And Salman Rada has, a, has, has, has basically a response that comforts their, their beliefs. And, and, and so they, they kind of solve the issue um, in that way. Uh, but yeah, Salman Rada becomes part of everyday conversations. He, he becomes somebody who is a reference, who is known uh, at the level of the city of Riyadh as somebody who is not only a figure, a big figure, a big guy, but also somebody you can reach out to and ask very simple uh, questions. And so what was interesting also about the Harry Potter story is that it actually is, it gives a window into a much bigger theme running through the book, the, uh, the, the differences between the Muslim Brotherhood approach and the Sadafi approach, which are not really the same as I've seen in, you know, in, in other countries and other contexts. So talk a little bit about that, about the, the differences and the similarities and the interweaving between these Brotherhood and uh, Sadafi trends that you, that you observed. Yes, so it's it's a uh, it's, it's a really good question, um, uh, and 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 you, you have a good way to, of putting it, right? I mean, in, in Saudi Arabia, these things look quite different, um, and they uh, than than they are or than they look like uh, in in places like Egypt or or other other countries. So the the first of all, there is not that much of a difference, I would say, and that it's not only phenomenologically speaking, um, meaning that you know, as a researcher, I start meeting. Islamic activists and, um, and they don't really talk about whether they are Salafi or Muslim brothers, right? I mean, that's not something that appears uh, directly. But more than that, I mean, it's even in, 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 in their socialization, in, in the way they, they think about their own uh, activism, and in the way historically these movements were um, 
were built in Saudi Arabia, I mean, there is not so much of a difference between, uh, between being a Salafi and being a Muslim brother. Uh, it has historical reasons, uh, the fact that, um, historical and political reasons, I, I would say, the fact that uh, in a space that is already uh, religiously um, influenced by uh, the high politics, the high religious politics of the state, basically Salafism, i.e. a certain brand of reformism uh, and of austerity in, in, in religious attitudes, but also in, in political thinking, basically has the upper hand on the public space. And therefore, in order to be acceptable, in order to be audible, you have to, you have to be Salafi in some sort of way. You have to couch your action or your, uh, your um, contribution in Salafi terms, which means that Muslim brothers in Saudi Arabia, even though they were constituted historically as Muslim brother networks, and I say networks with all the vagueness of the term because there was never an actual movement, right, for political reasons again. Um, so Muslim brothers have become kind of a blend of Salafis and Muslim brothers, right? And the same goes for more Salafi, um, uh, more traditional, uh, more, uh, you know, activists that are closer to the state in the sense that once uh, they've discovered, you know, the offering of the Muslim brothers, on the fact that Muslim Brother activists were exploiting certain spaces, uh, certain activities, and turning them into spaces and activities that were political or in nature. Uh, basically, Salafis be, you know, became kind of Muslim Brother-ish in, in the way. So you have that, that convergence of, um, mm -hmm. of concepts and of actions. So that's the, that's the, the background, right? And, and then uh, when you start, you know, finally observing the groups and, and getting to people who are more, you know, who are local leaders. Uh, so here I'm not talking about people like Salman Roda right, or right. Safar Hawari, for instance. I'm talking about like, you know, high school organizers or neighborhood organizers. Very often these people will have a very high consciousness of where they stand in that uh, geography of activism, if you will. And so there you're going to have a much, fi much more fine, much finer approach of, of what it means today uh, after you know, 40, 50 years of, of history between the Salafis and Muslim brothers, what it means today to be a Salafi or Muslim brother. But, so, but then when it comes to specific issues like, um, like the Harry Potter, for example, um, it, it seems to break down along those lines in ways, different, kind of different orientations towards questions and towards what matters and what doesn't matter. It really seemed to come through in a number of, your, of, of the ethnographic uh, accounts that you gave. Yes, uh, and Muslim brothers will, will, will tend to be more, um, again, to, to, to use uh, many more spaces uh, to organize and to, and to create conversations and to create numbers, right? To create, a, to create an atmosphere in which you can actually talk about social issues, you can talk about intellectual issues, you can talk about political issues. They will use sports to do that. They would, they would use um, leisure spaces. They will, use, um, they will use the suburbs, actually. They will really have a whole thinking about uh, what it means to be living in the, in the suburbs and to organize in suburban uh, environments. Whereas the Salafis, and again, here I'm, I'm drawing ideal types, right? Uh, mm -hmm. but the Salafis will, will, will tend to be much, much, uh, much closer to uh, the religious sciences, right? And to a space that is much more exclusive uh, in, in, in many ways. Now, 
when you, I want to get back to this question of Islamic action or Islamic activism, because you do have uh, some accounts of some protests, which are, which are quite fascinating to read, but protest really isn't uh, one of the core parts of this activism or Islamic action that you're describing. And I think maybe that's because of the suburban setting or because of the repressive uh, uh, political context. But maybe you could talk a little bit about that, how, the, how traditional modes of activism as people outside of Saudi, Saudi Arabia would think about them. How does that compare to the way that the people that you were talking to thought about how they were doing politics? Absolutely, that, that's, that's a key question. Um, basically, when you, when you look at the, uh, at the, the protest scene, for instance, uh, it's, it's really striking that Islamic activists don't have much of a, of a presence there. Uh, first of all, the protest scene in Saudi Arabia is very thin. Uh, this, this is a space in which, uh, in which it's, it's really hard to, to show, um, uh, you know, strength in numbers in the streets. And uh, for, if, you know, my previous book, uh, Joywriting in Riyadh, is really about how uh, joywriters are turning that, those suburban spaces into um, into uh, a playing ground, right? Uh, uh, into their plaything, and they are using cars and speed and uh, their own forms of organizations uh, to create these, you know, these daily spectacles, uh, very high risk, very high octane uh, spectacles of um, you know sound and fury in the, on the highways of Riyadh and Jeddah and other uh, Saudi cities. And so, you know, in a way, it's, it's, um, it's these guys who actually know how to uh, use these spaces mm -hmm. uh, to protest. It's these guys who are actually uh, waging or launching uh, a constant protest uh, night after night on the streets of, of Riyadh and Jeddah. Um, but a lot of the other action is much more about discussion and actually about ideas and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So, the, it, and that, that's where, you know, Islamic action, uh, I, I was always fascinated by how uh, not essentialists, um, the way Islamic activists are, you know, have to, to talk about themselves and to talk about what they do. Al-Islami, Islamic action, it's very non-committal in a way. Uh, there is no grand uh, project there. There is no, um, there is no grand scheme that, uh, that they're basically working toward. It's, it's more about everyday transformation of yourself. It's more about creating these autonomous uh, spheres or these autonomous spaces where people organize, where people change themselves, change attitudes, uh, acquire new ideas, and really prepare for, for a, a larger transformation of society, but without looking into society as a whole, by, by, by going cell after cell and, and doing it in a way that is that is much more similar to uh, anarchism in many ways, right? I mean, like you, you have that, that, that sense also that transformation really comes from, it comes from the self. It comes from transforming yourself, transforming people around you, transforming your own small society. And then one day maybe uh, these local transformations will basically help a bigger shift. And I think that's, that's, what, it, that's, that's what Amal Islami, that's what Islamic action uh, means. It's, it's really, uh, uh, somewhere in the book, I know it's a very quick notation, but I, I say somewhere that it's, it's very similar to direct action, right? Mm. In that sense that uh, basically activists are doing what they can 
where they are to change their own reality without waiting uh, on others to basically help them do so, right? And maybe it's just because um, of the focus on, on, on the high school environment and on youth, but there also seems to be a real social dimension to this too. You spend a lot of time looking at the different clubs and, um, and the, different, the kind of organized spaces in which uh, these people, uh, the individuals um, get involved in these discussions and, and, and in these different types of Islamic action. Yes, uh, so th th these were fascinating environments, fascinating places, and, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that, that, that is um, limited in time, right? I mean, if you look historically, and if we look at Saudi Arabia right now, I mean, they're, they're, as far as I can understand, because I'm no longer in Saudi Arabia, but um, you know, my, 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 my friends and my uh, interlocutors there uh, tell me how these places have, have probably vanished for, for a long time, uh, right? And, that, uh, and that's one of the anecdotes that I tell in the beginning of the book that, you know, uh, how, how people who are actually very uh, secularist and very, very not uh, the Islamic activist type are basically regretting their, their mourning uh, the, the, the disappearance of, of Islamic activists from the scene, right? Uh, but so, so these were experiments that happened, uh, well, back in the, in the late 2000s. And I, I observed one of these clubs, which, which was an intellectual club where people, uh, again, local, um, local leaders, right? I mean, like suburban uh, organizers, high school organizers, uh, college organizers would get together and enter into wider uh, conversations. What was interesting about them is that they were very not politically motivated in appearance. Uh, these were intellectual conversations. But again, the, the, the goal was to create the kind of atmosphere in which you can, uh, you can talk, you can talk as freely as possible. And so it's, it's really interesting because Basically, especially for, uh, you know, secularist minded um, uh, agents or actors or readers uh, like I am myself. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we are uh, kind of um, uh, trained to not expect uh, freedom in religious environments. Uh, right. I mean, that's that's the whole meaning of basically Western modernity is that, uh, uh, you know, it comes as a process of secularization and disenchantment. And here, um, in these places, what you, what you observe is basically the very opposite. And at, at all levels, whether it be at the level of, you know, the local mosque, um, Quranic group, uh, or the local uh, Islamic group that, um, that gathers in a, in a high school, or these clubs that, you, uh, that you're asking about, at all these levels, basically, people uh, find their freedom and find empowerment and uh, agency in very religious spaces. Now, one other one other element of the uh, of the book that we haven't really talked about yet is uh, kind of where you uh, towards the end of the book when you start talking about uh, the the summer camps and you know the really getting into the youth youth and uh, and and their place in all of this. So tell us a little bit about the camps and uh, your experience researching there. Yes. So that, these these um, that that was a really interesting one of the most interesting parts of my of my of my work uh, uh, in the sense that the summer camps are these um, these structures I mean everybody's familiar with with summer camps right uh, so they they happen at, at summer and, and then you know kids from the neighborhood um, or students from a certain high school uh, gather and are uh, offered activities uh, you know sports culture uh, all kinds of, 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 of activities in a space that 
historically has been um, created and maintained by Islamic activists. Back in the 1990s, when um, there were a couple of bombings uh, in, in Riyadh and, and then Al-Khobar, uh, the, the summer camps were appointed as the source of the, of, 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 of the issue, right? And I, 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 as, um, as spaces where basically kids would get uh, trained uh, into um, resisting the state and sometimes into um, uh, using weapons. And so when I, when I conducted my uh, field work in the 2000s, the summer camps had been uh, realigned to the state's uh, policies and they were under much uh, stricter scrutiny than they had been before. But still, what, what, I, could, what I could observe uh, is how these spaces were, um, depending, on, depending on who was in charge, depending on the, on, on the, um, the personality of the organizers, could become really interesting spaces of socialization into uh, Islamic action. And in particular, uh, socialization into electoral politics. And that's the link that I, um, that I could observe in some of the summer camps where uh, basically the whole personal teachers, uh, local organizers, uh, preachers were, had been working uh, with Islamic activists uh, during the, the electoral campaign of the municipal elections. So that, that was the, the, the elections of 2005, mm -hmm. where Islamic activists basically won in uh, all big cities. Uh, they won pretty much all the, um, all the elected seats uh, in, in the big cities of the country. And they had behind them uh, that uh, space of organizing that had been offered by the networks created in the, uh, in the summer camps. And the summer camps had become, uh, in electoral terms, they become not only a space where uh, networks are created, but they also become a vocabulary, right? A, a repertoire of what do you do when you organize, uh, when, when you campaign, basically. Well, when you campaign in the neighborhoods of Riyadh, in the suburbs of Riyadh or Jeddah, you organize a summer camp program. And basically you offer this to adults to voters as well as to their kids, right? I mean, there is, there is also a way of luring voters by luring their kids to the, um, to the campaign site. And basically the summer camps have become a political vocabulary. So yeah, that, that's that kind of switch that I, that I uh, observed uh, during one summer. And it and then didn't end up, end up uh, too well. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was kicked out at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, that was very interesting, the, uh, the whole, the, uh, how, how the research went there and sounds very familiar actually to other contexts uh, dealing with the various bureaucrats and people trying to understand what exactly it is you're doing there and what you want. Yes, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much about it. I mean, I let the reader yeah, yeah, <laughs> discover yeah. that story. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tough space to, um, to conduct your research in, especially when you, when you, uh, when you and like all of us, I mean, we, we always, uh, conduct our research in murky circumstances. I mean, there's always that ambiguity surrounding what we do, not only because of our identities, but also because, um, you know, well, social life is ambiguous, right? I mean, and right. you never know exactly uh, uh, who you're talking to when you're conducting field, field work. And so you have to, you have to operate in, you know, on, on the basis of these, uh, these very fast judgments, right? And, and sometimes you misjudge the person who is in front of you. And so basically that's what happened to me. I misjudged uh, that person and I, 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 I was kicked out of, um, of, of that research project, researching the summer camps. 
but yeah, it made up for, for enough data to actually you know, draw some conclusions about it, but it also made up for a few good stories. Let's um, maybe for one last question, maybe come back to where we started with uh, kind of urban design and, and the importance of, of the physical infrastructure or the nature of the city itself. And that, I mean, to the extent that um, you see this very strong causal, even constitutive role for, um, for the urban space, it, it might have the effect of making this a very local story, maybe one that doesn't travel to other contexts. How do you weigh the relative weight of, the, of, of those parts of it, the, the urban design against the ideas themselves, the fact that it's Islamic, the fact that this is religion? Um, you know, would, would you expect a similar, similarly designed city in South America to produce similar types of activism? Or is it really you need to have both? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so the, for, first of all, I mean, there are two points I, I want to make about, about this question. The first one is that I, I don't try to locate causality in the book, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I, I'm not saying, for instance, that it's because you have uh, suburban spaces that uh, you obtain uh, as a result Islamic activism or religious activism. Um, this is what happens when we bring an anthropologist onto a political science podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is much more to political <laughs> science than causality, but yeah, maybe. So, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but but that's that's a really interesting point, actually, because uh, basically, when you look at the type of ideas Islamic activists have about modernization, Westernization, modernization as Westernization. Mm -hmm. We would expect them to actually refuse suburbanization and to say, well, this is a project that was brought to us by Constantinos Doxiaris, by the United Nations uh, programs that have been working in the area, by the Ford Foundation, by Harvard, Stanford, by French urban planners. I mean, I'm quoting like, pretty much everybody who's been right. involved in the suburbanization of Saudi cities, right? I mean, you, you, could, you could expect them to say, well, this is not our space we refuse uh, the transformation of our environments along Western standards. And basically what happens is the opposite, right? And, and um, very, uh, very astutely, basically, Islamic activists um, uh, look for freedom in the suburbs and they look for uh, spaces of organizing, spaces where they can actually be uh, away from, uh, you know, the gaze of repression, away from, uh, you know, police stations, takes time to build, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's faster to build, a, uh, to build roads and to build, um, uh, you know, and to, to, to populate um, a, a development and to build houses than to build the, uh, the administrative infrastructure that comes with it uh, very often. And that's also why, you know, joyriders in Riyadh are, um, are, are having such a, such a great time uh, far away from the center of the city because they basically uh, use all these new developments to have fun, right? So the Islamists are are doing uh, more or less the same. In terms of the uh, the relevance of that story to other locales, uh, well, I guess that's precisely where it makes the story uh, more global than simply a Saudi story, right? Because what we see here is an environment, an urban suburban environment that was created by uh, urban planners, architects, um, economists who are Western uh, agents, Western um, experts, 
and who basically are exporting uh, a project, the project of a suburban, you know, global suburb. Uh, uh, Doxiadis would probably love this, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. Doxiadis, that Greek um, uh, architect and planner who's been dreaming about a global city. Uh, and when you look uh, in detail, his global city basically is a global suburb. It's very low density. You have highways everywhere, uh, individual housing and cars. And so what happens to this project of uh, a global suburb when you plunge it in different uh, locales and in different environments? And what are the ways to basically you know, resist it and, or use it to, to other uh, purposes? I guess that's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's a very transnational story. And, uh, and you know, there are plenty of stories that were told, for instance, in the United States uh, about how suburban spaces were used uh, by religious movements and also by political movements. I mean, the, you know, the behavior of the suburbs or what happens in the suburbs is actually part, it's, it's actually part of the story of the, of the upcoming elections, right? So, so in, in many ways, the, the Saudi story finds its place into these different suburban uh, stories about politics. Uh, it's so interesting. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Pascal. We've been speaking with uh, Pascal Menoray of uh, Brandeis University's Crown Center uh, about his new book, Graveyard of Clerics, Everyday Activism in Saudi Arabia. Um, thanks for this conversation. Thanks, thanks very much to you. Thanks for the invitation.